You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. All right, well, today we're finishing up our study of Mark chapter 2, and we've been talking in the last few weeks about how Jesus is challenging religion. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about at the very beginning of the chapter that Jesus interrupted his teaching. He heals a paralytic, and, and the point was that Jesus is greater than toxic religion. And then the next week, we talked in the next little vignette in the story that Jesus encounters two kinds of people in the world, the tax collectors, who are the people that know they're sinners, and then the Pharisees, and he called the Pharisees the people who think they are righteous. And we talked about how really there's only one kind of person, that everyone is broken, everyone's a sinner, and only when you come to that realization can you really encounter Jesus. And then last week we talked, Eric and Ross, you guys both talked about the religion police. right? These are the, these are the people who do spiritual disciplines um, to try to use them as a litmus test or to use them to police other people who aren't you know, sort of measuring up. And again, Jesus challenged the religion police in our last in our last episode. Today we're going to finish up chapter two by talking about how Jesus viewed the Sabbath. Because the religion police show up again and and they don't appreciate his interpretation of the Sabbath law. We're going to get into all of that here in just a little bit. But before we do, Ross, why don't we just kind of zoom out and talk about these two ma- major things that we're going to be looking at all throughout this episode today is, is, and the question really is, what pleases God? On the one side, you have the law, you know, keeping the rules. And on the other side, you have love, caring about people. And so which one matters more to God? Ross, what would you say? Yeah, that's a great question. And it seems like most of us, because of personality or upbringing, will bounce back and forth between those two uh, poles. But really, they're not in contradiction to each other, not the law that God gave, his actual word, or not love as God defines love. And I think what we're going to see with the Pharisees interact with Jesus, that they stand for the law, but they've actually distorted the law of God. They've added things to the law of God. And on the other side, you know, maybe we care about people, have compassion for people, but probably more likely in our culture today, people are using a definition of love that isn't necessarily God's definition of love. So the two errors are distorting law or distorting love. And, um, but, but there's really no ultimate conflict between actually God's law and actually uh, love that God prescribes. Now, as we look at the text here from Mark chapter 2, mostly we're going to be talking today about how the religion police were distorting the law. And we'll get into this and we'll show some examples of this because this is what Jesus is challenging. This is what he's calling out. But I want to encourage you as a listener to listen all the way to the end, because at the end of our episode today, we're going to talk a little bit about how I think a lot of Christians today do the opposite. Instead of distorting the law and being legalistic, I think that we can get caught up into distorting love. And I I even think really well-meaning people can do this, that they distort what it means to love somebody. And so they end up just sort of throwing out all the rules, they end up condoning sin, and they end up um, sort of advocating this for this anything goes um, Christianity, which is not biblical Christianity either. So the technical words for this are legalism on the one side and antinomianism on the other side. Again, we're going to get to the antinomian part of it at the very end, 
because it's mainly not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is really talking about the first kind of error where, where, where the, the Pharisees or the religion police were distorting the law. And so even before we get to the text, I know we're, we're still waiting here. We're going to get to the text, I promise. But Eric, why don't we talk a little bit about Sabbath keeping? Because that's the issue. And I think a lot of Christians today might not even fully understand the Sabbath because it's not a rule we think about. We, most people don't think about keeping the Sabbath. And so let's go back to the Old Testament and explain Sabbath law before we get to Mark chapter 2. Yeah, the Sabbath um, is made um, clear to us in the Ten Commandments. It actually represents, though, the seventh day. Um, it goes all the way back to Genesis when God created everything in six days, and on the seventh he rested. And, and so God is, is showing his people... Um, some things through this. Um, one of them is that he wants them to rest. He wants people to rest. And so if we go all the way back to the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses in Exodus 20, 8 through 11, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So Ross, again, people today are, as they try to wrap their mind around it, this is one of the Ten Commandments, and yet most Christians don't really think about this. Like, we don't put this at the same level of, of say, murder, right, um, or coveting, things like that. But it's, it's actually one of the commandments. So what was the principle behind it? Like, what was this? It seems legalistic to people, right? But what was the real principle behind it? The whole idea behind it, it it's, it's spoken even in the uh, text that Eric read, that look, there's days to work and there's days to rest. You have six days to do your work, get all your business done, take care of it. On the seventh day, it's time for rest. We, we need that. Our bodies need that. Um, the rhythms of our life need it. Our families need it, time together. But more particularly in Exodus 31, he says it's a day dedicated to the Lord. Because you don't have to work, then you have some leisure time to focus on God. And so the whole idea of it is that, look, God's providing for us to have rest. He's providing for us to have the bandwidth in our lives to cultivate a relationship with him. Now, the Bible does actually give some specific guidelines, and this might kind of confuse the matter a little bit, but let's just be honest about this. So, for example, it says in Exodus 35.3, people can look this up later, it says that you shouldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. Well, I've done that before. Okay, so now I'm in violation. Or in Numbers 15:32, it says a man should be punished for or a man it was a, where a man was punished for gathering wood on the Sabbath. And then in Nehemiah 13:15, the Israelites were rebuked for doing business on the Sabbath. This is why Chick-fil-A is called the Lord's Chicken because they close they close their restaurants on Sunday. So they've got maybe they've got Nehemiah 13:15 as one of their key verses. But, but again, Ross, for, I think for Christians, this is where it can get confusing. When we read our Old Testament, and, and then we read things like this, and we talk about, well, then what? Yeah, should we? Should we be keeping the Sabbath? 
like really religiously? Should we be doing this legalistically? Because it seems like in the Old Testament, that's what is happening here. Yeah, you know, we could, I don't want to get off the rails too far from our text today, but, and go into a lot of detail about the Sabbath, but, you know, I, I look through, um, I look through the Bible at some, at some depth to find out what are all the specific guidelines that the Bible gives about Sabbath keeping. And the only one I found was this thing about lighting a fire. That was before they settled into permanent residency. They were camping in the wilderness. Um, so it's clear that, but it's clear that you don't work, whatever that means. But the Bible doesn't give us a checklist. It doesn't say, you know, here's the, all the list of prohibited things from the Sabbath. Here's all the other things you can do. And so for us, I think we live in a different culture, different time. Sabbath takes on a different meaning somewhat in the New Testament when you get to the book of Hebrews. But I think for us, what we can take away for our lives is that we do need to rest and rejuvenate and recuperate. And we do need time dedicated uh, just for God. Okay, so in... And, in Jesus's day, then, the Pharisees did actually add rules, though, right, Eric? I mean, so we're almost ready. I promise, listeners, we're almost ready to read our text for today. This is a great buildup. I want to make sure people have context for this, because in Jesus's day, there, were more, there was more to it because of the rabbis and the communities, the religion police of his day. They did give us a checklist that you can't find in the Old Testament, but this is the back backdrop for what we're about to read, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a lot to try to interpret, whereas Jesus' coming is kind of the start of the New Testament versus the Old Testament. And so after the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, it changes uh, forever the way in which people come to God, it's always been by faith, and God has always wanted obedience, and he's wanted his people to stay away from sin, but um, we have to, as we talked about a few weeks ago, um, or even last week, that there are things talked about in the Old Testament that if you can go into the New Testament and see it restated clearly by Jesus or one of the apostles, then it's something that we ought to, you know, take seriously as part of God's moral law. We talked about there are different laws in the Old Testament. There was the ceremonial, there was the civil, and then there was the moral law. And a lot of those now for us as Christians don't, don't really relate to us, but they're, they're still a part of God's moral law that relates to us. Now for the Jewish people and for the Pharisees, um, who didn't quite accept Jesus and still don't accept Jesus today, you know, the problem with the Pharisees is that they thought that coming to God was not just about faith, but it was about works. It was about outward actions. It was about keeping all of the rules, and they felt like um, they could have more pride by how holy they lived. And so what they did was added all kinds of barricades and extra rules and fences around each law. So coming up with thousands of other man-made rules and laws, which we're calling religion, you know, hence our, our um, series, we're calling Mark chapter two, challenging religion. And, and, because of this religious mindset, they didn't want to break any laws, so they've added all kinds of things 
to it, all kinds of things to the Sabbath that aren't in Scripture and, and many other God's laws. And that's that sets up, you know, kind of the confrontation that we're going to see today, the, the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, because they add their own stuff to uh, interpreting some of his actions as, as we see him um, in this text. And let's give just a few examples, just so our listeners know what we're talking about. So, for example, these were some of the, the additions to the, to the Old Testament Sabbath law. There, these were some of the checklist items that were added later by different rabbis in different Jewish communities. So, number one, they weren't allowed to draw water on the Sabbath. Uh, number two, they weren't allowed to walk more than a thousand cubits. So that's getting pretty specific now. That was about a third of a mile. Another one was they couldn't carry anything from inside the house to outside the house or vice versa. Another one is that they couldn't assist in the birth of an animal on the Sabbath. So again, this is the this is the backdrop for what Jesus is now entering into. So again, Jesus, Jesus is God. So Jesus understands the heart of, the whole, under, the truest understanding of the Sabbath laws, he's the one who, he's God, he's the one who created them. And so he's not against the Sabbath laws, it's just that he's, he's against the distortion of it, the, the misinterpretation of it, that I think any religious community can kind of fall prey to. In fact, I'm, I, I've heard that, that in, uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not, Ross, but I've heard that in New York, Jewish communities in New York, there's other rules about this, like you can't, maybe more modern rules so that they can understand what they can and can't do on the Sabbath. My understanding is they can't push a, an elevator button on the Sabbath. Have you heard that one, Ross? Yeah, I've heard that. And in modern Judaism, they took the spirit of this early first century uh, Pharisaical Judaism, they've taken it even to a way farther extreme than than it was practiced in Jesus' yeah, day. Yeah, so this wasn't just something from 2,000 years ago. It's it's still true today in different religions, different maybe faith communities. And again, it could even be true to a certain extent. You should think and talk about this with your small group, but, but there might be some sacred cows in your church even if you go up to a Bible believing church that you realize it's kind of, it's kind of this sort of thing, right? It's like uh, you're elevating the laws above the real meaning behind the law, which we're going to see here in a second. So I think we've got enough backdrop now guys to get into the text itself. And what we're going to see here is there is Jesus interacts with the Pharisees in at the end of Mark chapter two and at the beginning of chapter three, we're going to focus on two complaints that the Pharisees have about Jesus and how he views the Sabbath. And the first one has to do with harvesting grain. And so we start in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. It says, One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Okay, But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, there are a lot of problems with this. Eric, but f the first major problem we need to point out is they were actually misinterpreting because technically they weren't even harvesting grain, were they? No, they were, they were just, you know, grabbing, grabbing things off of the ground and, and maybe picking up a head and, and making it so that they could eat it. But like, and that might've meant having to, you know, uh, crush it in your hands a little bit or unravel the husk. But there, the Pharisees have gone so far to say that doing all that, doing all that is work, um, which is, is just 
quite ridiculous, really. I mean, how could you do anything? How could you do anything if everything's considered work? I mean, I I consider it work to put it, put food in the microwave. I mean, and and that's that seems pretty simple, right? How could you? You'd have to have servants, and and like you said um, about that story about the elevator, I've heard the very same thing, and so what they what they have to do is get a bellhop or someone if they're staying in an apartment building or in a hotel is have someone else push the buttons for them or someone else turn the lights on for them so that they themselves weren't actually doing the work and they take it that far. But there's a little saying that my wife and I like to joke around with each other about um, when when we're we're not acting you know, Christian, like we say, do you even read the Bible? <laughs> it's a little <laughs> joke between my wife and I, when we're not being gracious to one another. Um, but that's something that I would say to these guys because they're misinterpreting scripture. They're adding a bunch of stuff. They think that actually, you know, eating, um, and having to do a little bit of, of, you know, unraveling of some food and putting it in your mouth is actually work. But, they're adding to um, something that's in, in Deuteronomy 23:25 is this, this law that was given. I'll read it here. It says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. And so they who were supposed to be scrupulous in the scriptures must have just went right past this one or have added way too much to it so as to prevent the actual ability to even eat the grain because it doesn't say that the the disciples hacked off the grain with a sickle, but it does say that they grabbed some grain. They were probably plucking it. They were well within their God-given rights to be able to eat this grain. Yeah, now it's interesting as Jesus responds to it, you would think that maybe he would use that verse, Deuteronomy 23, 25, because Jesus certainly knew that verse. You would have thought that maybe he would use that verse to refute them, to to help them, to sort of debate the letter of the law with them, but he doesn't. He goes to even a, a, a different approach because there's a second problem with their approach, not just that they're misinterpreting scripture. The real problem is that it's kind of like we were talking about at the beginning, is they didn't understand the heart of the law. They didn't understand what was really behind the law and that it was more about love for people. And the, God gave us the Sabbath rules out of his love for people, not out of his love for rules and legalism. And that's how Jesus, that's really where Jesus is going to now go toe to toe with them. Verse 25, Jesus responds like this. He says, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry, he went into the house of, the, of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I'm going to read that again, because that's kind of the, really the crux of, I think, this whole lesson today. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the other way around. Not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, there's a lot, Ross, in that 
section, but the first thing is it's so interesting to me that Jesus points out an offense that seems way, like it'd be a way bigger deal than just plucking a few grains. I mean, this is like, he's talking about something, these sacred loaves from the temple. That's a much bigger deal, isn't it? Yeah, let's make sense out of that. So he, he re, Jesus recounts this incident from King David. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. King David's a hero of Judaism. And so Jesus tells this story about when David actually broke the Old Testament law because in the tabernacle, there was bread that was baked. It was set out every day in front of um, the, the holy place of the temple. And it was sacred because it was set apart for God's use alone. Anything that was used in the tabernacle or later the temple could not be used for common ordinary use. You wouldn't like say, oh, I forgot a pot. I'm looking to go borrow one from the temple. I'll, I'll return it when I'm done with it. Because it was set apart as belonging to God. It was sacred in that sense. But David and his um, companions went and ate the bread. And in fact, the high priest uh, actually was the one who said, hey, we don't have any food for you guys. He and his companions were on the run for their life from King Saul. Uh, they hadn't eaten anything for who knows how long. And the priest says, look, we don't have any ordinary food right now, but we do have these loaves that were you know, dedicated to the temple. Why don't you take these and eat them? And, and interestingly, as you look up uh, 1 Samuel 21, in that story, there's no condemnation of David implied there. There's no censure applied there. They weren't vandalizing. They, were, they didn't go into the temple to dishonor God or anything like that. And so, you know, Jesus uses that as a great example because presumably the Pharisees would not have condemned David, and certainly the Old Testament did not conde condemn David in that story. And that's where the story, he uses that story to set up that principle, Brian, that you pointed out is the is the heart and soul of these passages. Yeah, this is real quick. I just wanted to add something, something that I keep seeing as we see Jesus challenging the religious leaders is that people who are legalistic misinterpret scripture and to the point to where it, it um, satisfies this, this heart condition that they have of making sure that it's, it's a works-based thing and it's all uh, on my ability and, and my uh, own you know, way of working to God. That's what's, what, God, the, what pleases God and not just living by faith. That's what we always see, even our day, right? We see people who are religious, they, they have a really bad interpretation of Scripture, a really weird one, and you know, that's where I think me and my wife got this funny little, you know, passive-aggressive way of, uh, you know, confronting one another. Right at the first part of those verses, it says, haven't you ever read in the scriptures? Even Jesus is doing that to the Pharisees. Don't you, don't you know your Bibles, oh, oh, wise one? Don't you remember this story? Don't you know the law in Deuteronomy? I mean, um, that's what we see with religious people. And even nowadays, you know, the, the cult of our day, and the, the spin-off religions that are borderline heresy and that that we have to divide from from Orthodox Christianity, it's they usually go and, and add a bunch of stuff to scripture. They totally distort the law. So what did Ross then what did Jesus mean when he said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people? to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I mean, that's, that's a, 
like that's kind of like a proverb almost. I mean, that is a pretty weighty statement. And I'm sure that the Pharisees were taken back by that because it's like re- completely redefining how they viewed the Old Testament law, the Sabbath being just one of them. Right. It's He's saying that you take this command and, and you think about what is the purpose of the existence of that command. And the Pharisees, the legalistic approach was to say, well, the purpose of that command is for people to live up to it. And he says, no, Jesus is flipping that on its head. He said, that it's, the purpose of the command is not, is not just to provide a, um, a duty for people, but he says, look, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. The Sabbath was made for human beings. And so if you think about, if you think about the Sabbath and you apply that principle to it, you see the Sabbath was created for the purpose of human welfare and thriving. You know, God gives us his commandments so that we can live the best life possible in a broken world, that we can, if we live the way that God created the world to live, then our life is going to be better in a broken world. For example, so the Sabbath, you know, is designed to give people rest. People need rest. If you just look at our own workaholic culture where nobody takes their vacation days. Um, the Sabbath was, was given to give people an opportunity to worship God, to have freedom and the time to do that uh, from survival. Uh, it, was create, it created family time together. It created you know, a, a heart toward God and toward each other. So there's all kinds of benefits of the Sabbath that, that God gave it for our benefit to help us to have a, a better life in the, in the world that he created. Yeah, really. I mean, and it's not just the Sabbath, right? It's any any kind of you know moral code that god gives us for example the bible prohibits sexual activity outside of marriage you know the secular world would say that's ridiculous he do, he doesn't want me to god doesn't want me to have fun you know is he some kind of a prude well no it's for human well-being you know children raised by whole families with two parents that's that's good for the kids that's healthy for the kids that's good for society um so that, you know, a lot of sexual promiscuity leads to diseases, various diseases. God cares about us. He doesn't want us to get those diseases. He, he you know, there's so much of this, the way the world views sexuality just leads to abuse. It leads to heartbreak. It leads to, you know, shallow relationships. A biblical conception of one man, one woman for life is just the way God designed it to work, and it works best when we do it that way. Now, some people might be listening to this and saying, how dare you say that? And, uh, okay, well, then you live your way, and I'll live God's way, and let's see at the end of the story. Let's see generations from now. Let's see whose family is thriving and whose family is not even around anymore. And again, I'm not trying to, like, pick a fight here. I'm just, the point is, it's not just about the Sabbath. It's all of God's commandments. He gives us these commandments so that we would thrive, just like a good parent does. You know, Eric, you have little kids at home still. And you, when you give your kids commandments, it's because you love them. It's because you care about them. You're not just trying to arbitrarily give them rules for rules' sake. It's because you know better than they do, and so you give them the rules. But as your kids are little, they don't know that you know better than they do. And that's kind of how we are, too, with God, right? We don't... It's a, sometimes I feel like we, even as adults, we feel like we know better than God and we challenge God's commandments and God's word. And yet God is saying, I made you, I created you. I'm smarter than you are. I, I wrote the manual. Like I know how it's supposed to work. 
Yeah, I agree. And the problem is, is when we overdo the boundaries with um, adding our own to God's. You know, I like to use the analogy of, you know, having a fence around the yard. If you live next to a busy road is a good thing. It's good to have boundaries to keep us safe, to keep us safe even from our own selves. But what the Pharisees do, it, it, imagine having a yard with a fence around it, and, and it was such a beautiful yard. But, but then the parents went out and started putting little fences all around each blade of grass and every flower and every beautiful part of the yard to where it gets to the point where you can't actually enjoy any part of the yard anymore. God doesn't want us to not enjoy um, this life that he gave us. In fact, our whole purpose for living is to enjoy God and enjoy his creation. And, and one day we're, and we're going to do that for, for eternity. Even in a broken world, we can enjoy, um, the things that he's given us. You know, all of us love to go outdoors and all of us love to enjoy family and, and relationships. And God said, there's a way in which, you know, I want you to live and do these things. And none of those are so restrictive that we can't have joy in this life. The problem is we pervert those things because we look at sin as bringing us joy, but it never fulfills us. It might do something uh, for, a, for a small moment in time, but ultimately ends up robbing our joy. And that's that's why God, you know, he created us, he made us, he knows what we need. Um, and, and think about it for the coming back to the Sabbath. You've, you've talked about kind of the moral law, the things that we need to con consider as Christians, even New Testament Christianity. Going back to the, the Sabbath, you know, an interesting thing about the Sabbath, it, it, it means seventh day. Well, the seventh day in our calendar is Saturday, um, and, and that's all, all the word means. Um, and I think in in Spanish, right? Isn't Saturday Sabado, right? Like you see, yeah, yeah. You see the, the similarities in the language. Um, it's the seventh day, but the question is, why do we meet in church on Sunday? Well, there's a whole history behind, um, you know, Jesus dying on Good Friday, raising on Sunday, and now Sunday's called the Lord's Day, and people have turned that into the Sabbath, if, if you want. But imagine, though, uh, and it's a good principle to carry on. Once a week, we rest, we worship the Lord. Imagine if that wasn't there, like, and the way we love our freedom, um, how would the church con continue on without some kind of a reminder, a guideline um, to come back and worship me? I, I'm sure most of us would probably say, let's do it once a month. <laughs> let's do it, you know, every quarter. Uh, right? Um, let's do it Christmas and Easter. That's what most people do. Isn't that <laughs> true? The creasters. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Well, and then we move on as we continue to read. Now we're moving into Mark chapter three, but the next complaint that the Pharisees have goes beyond kind of this picking grain, kind of like a petty thing to something that to me is just even more glaring that their hearts are in the wrong place. Because now, now we're going to see in chapter 3 that Jesus is, is 
confronted with this guy. It says that he went into a synagogue and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was a Sabbath, Jesus's enemies watched him closely. And verse two says, if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And so here's this, here's this kind of um, confrontation between Jesus and these Pharisees. What is he going to do here? What is, what is Jesus going to do here? Is he going to break the letter of the law? And if you know the story, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that he does, because he doesn't care about offending the Pharisees. He cares more about the guy. Verse 3, it says, He said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So he wasn't even going to do this on the down low. And then he turned to his critics and he said, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Isn't it interesting how Jesus frames it? Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? So see, Jesus is framing it differently than the way that the Pharisees were framing it. They were framing it so legalistically. Jesus is framing it from the from the viewpoint of the one who created the Sabbath law in the first place. So this is just an extension of that principle we read about in the previous chapter. And then Jesus looks at the guy and he says, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. I mean, so you see this whole thing on display, right? Ross, we have, it is so clear to us, and we're only in chapter three of Mark, that there's good guys and, there, and there's bad guys. And let's not be like the Pharisees because they were clearly the bad guys. Yeah, I think there's so many interesting as aspects of this episode. Everybody saw the man there, and they thought different things. Jesus sees the guy, and he has compassion. The Pharisees see the guy, and they think, oh, okay, here's our test case. They were hoping Jesus would heal the guy, but not, not because they cared about this guy. They were just looking for an excuse to, to try to nail him for being a Sabbath breaker. And you could see there's a couple other times in the New Testament where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath. And in, in some of the details of those other cases, we learn more about what's going on here, that um, people debated about this. They said, well, wait a minute, he can't be from God because he's a Sabbath breaker. He doesn't keep the law of God. And the, other, the response that other people were saying back to that was, yeah, but how can a lawless person do miracles? You know, so there was this debate going on. And, then, and in another situation with another a person with a different kind of need, Jesus healed her as well, and he confronted the Pharisees. He said, hey, look, even your own law allows you to, to get your, your animal out of a ditch. If your ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, you're allowed to get your, your ox out. Do you think God cares more about oxes than people? And so he, you can see he's challenging their interpretation. He's challenging their distorted or twisted view of the law um, by the priority of compassion here. And, and so it's just a fascinating uh, situation. And I think it's interesting to look at Jesus's emotions here as we, as we kind of zoom in on some of these words here. It says that he looked at them, number one, angrily. So that's one emotion he had. He was angry, right? Because he had compassion on this guy and he was, ang you know, I think we've all felt that before. Probably if you, you see an injustice in the world, you get angry and that there could be such a thing as righteous anger. I don't think we probably always have it very often, but Jesus certainly did. In this case, this was truly righteous anger. But even more interesting to me is it says that he was deeply saddened. 
And he, uh, to me, Ross, this shows us that he has compassion even for them. You know, we, it, we can easily read scripture, the gospels, and think that Jesus hated the Pharisees, but Jesus didn't hate the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't hate the religion police, but his heart is saddened by their attitude toward the law. He, it calls it here the hard hearts, that his heart is sad, his heart, his heart, Jesus's heart is saddened by their hearts, that their hearts are hard toward people. They're, they care more about the law than they care about love. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that in the the first and second verses, it says that they watched him closely, and if if he if he did heal, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So they're not even denying at this point in in the book of Mark. You know, he's proven his authority, proven who he is, what he can do. They're not even denying anymore his power. They know that he, they can that he can heal this guy. And so, when when getting to these later verses about their hardened hearts, this is the sad thing about people who are hardened by their own pride or or just don't have faith is that even though the evidence is all around them that God is good. <laughs> that Jesus loves, that Jesus has come to save. Um, for people that are stuck in their pride and their religiosity, they can't really see the truth about who he is. This is why they end up misinterpreting the Bible all the time, because they can't see the truth for what it is. Yeah, and just a side note on this. It, it shows me that this idea of a hard heart it's an interesting concept. It means, you know, nothing can penetrate. No new ideas, no truth or whatever. It illustrates to me, though, that um, part of the issue when, when people refuse to believe in Jesus is not just insufficient evidence. They had plenty of evidence, but they had made a, a it's a choice of their will to refuse to believe in Jesus because they didn't want to lose what they would lose. They didn't want to bow their knee to his lordship. They wanted uh, to be in charge themselves. So it's so interesting to see that in response to Jesus, um, he could have done all the miracles in the world and it wouldn't have changed their response to him. Yeah, they're looking at this guy. I mean, go back and read the Listeners, I encourage you to read the text for yourself and notice their response. They don't celebrate with this guy. They're not like, wow, that's awesome. This guy's whole again. So, you know, that is, they're, they were so focused like you said, Ross, they were so focused on their way of interpreting Scripture, on their way of interpreting the law and their way of living it out and making sure that everybody else lived it out like they thought they should, that they were missing the whole point. Their hearts were hard, and they were missing an opportunity to celebrate that a, a guy's life, especially back then, 2,000 years ago, I mean, that would have meant the world to this guy, that he doesn't have this deformity anymore. Like he can get out there and get a real job now. He can get out there and contribute to society. This meant so much to this guy and and they didn't care about it. They just immediately pivot to thinking about how can they kill Jesus? You know, that's that's all they they were concerned about. There was evidence right in front of them, but they didn't care about the evidence because their hearts were hard toward Jesus. So so let's summarize this part of this, because I, I wanted to make sure we get to the other part of this that we, we talked about at the beginning. You know, the, the two, there are two errors when it comes to the law and love. And really, this first error is what the Pharisees 
are making is that they're distorting the law. They're misinterpreting the law as we've seen. They're missing the whole spirit of the law. They're, they're elevating the law over people. They think it's about the law, not about, they think that, that people were made to obey the law, not that the law was made to serve the people and help the people and, and help them thrive. So that's the one error on the one side. That's really what's, what we're talking about in this text you know, that, we've, that we've covered today is it's really all about the, the religion police and how they, they put law over love, and so therefore they're distorting the law. The truth, though, guys, and I wanted to make sure we, we dealt with this for a minute here at the end. The truth is a lot of people who are listening this, to, you know, listening to this episode right now are saying, they're, they're like, amen in it. They're, they're thinking about who they want to send this podcast to, those religious legalistic people that they know, and, they, and they, they, they're like, this is great because you are so right. I know so many people who distort the law, but let's talk about the other error the, at the opposite end of the spectrum. You can also distort this concept of love. And I think more and more Christians are falling for this today where you throw, we, again, the technical word for this is antinomianism. I mean, there's more to it than that, but you're throwing out all the law altogether. You're saying, let's just love everybody. God is love. God loves everybody. He doesn't care what you do. You can live however you want to live because God is love. And that would be going too far. So help us unpack that for our listeners today, because again, I think that probably relates to them more than most of what we've talked about today. Yeah, I think uh, you already you already said it, but there are there's a lot of people I come across, and I think that we're even tempted to do this um, in ministry when you know we hear of someone struggling with a certain sin and. Uh, we remember all that we've been forgiven for. We know that God is a God of grace um, and forgiveness, and we see all these examples of of Jesus, you know, fighting against legalism. Then I think it's easy for a lot of people to say, "Well, then, then, you know, God is all about love first. He he wants to, you know." forgive everyone for everything first, and so therefore we should um, be compassionate to people who are struggling with a certain kind of sin, come alongside them and say, whatever you're doing is fine. We don't need to have any hard conversations. I mean, I think about it when it when it comes to, you know, sexuality. Uh, you brought it up earlier. Um, I think people think that it's a loving thing to do not to tell people the truth about their sin and that God created man and woman, you know, for, for marriage and for that relationship alone. And so when we um, encounter people who are living in, in some kind of a, you know, sinful lifestyle, like LGBT lifestyle, um, I think the problem is, is that we refrain from telling them that, God does see that as sin, and that in order for them to be forgiven, they must repent and believe. I mean, that's the whole point of what we've been looking at is Jesus has rolled out that he's bringing the kingdom, and what it takes to be right with God is to trust in Jesus, but it also means to acknowledge your sin. And it's we think it's loving to not cause conflict in people's hearts, but yet 
the very presence of God on earth does con- cause conflict in our hearts because the Bible says that all of our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And so what we have to measure our hearts against is God's law, his moral standards. And when we don't measure up, we have to agree with it that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And and then when we are forgiven of that, God wants us to then go on to live holy and pure lives as a witness, as a testimony that he changed us from our 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 wanting to live our own way, and now we want to live his. And so we don't get rid of all of God and Jesus's commandments in Scripture, but we, out of gratitude, want to follow those things. But we don't follow those things to make us right with God. Jesus makes us right with God. He's the ultimate, you know, fulfillment of the Sabbath, rest, rest from our works to try to be right with God. He took care of that for us. But yet he does call Christians to live in truth and in holiness. So, Ross, what do you say to the person, the listener today, who writes in and says, you guys are being legalistic. You guys are being like the Pharisees in this story to apply the, the let's just stay with the LGBT thing, you know, to apply the LGBT thing to today to Christians today like we should accept those people just as they are into our churches we shouldn't tell them that they can't live that kind of a lifestyle yeah it boils down to this i think that we're in error if we add religious rules and regulations that go beyond what god himself has said that's what the pharisees did but we're also in error if we just dismiss what god has said under a misguided notion of love And so legalism and obedience, there might be a fine line, but the fine line has to do with two things. Am I uh, I trying to obey man-made things or God's things? And number two, am am I looking at obedience, like you said earlier, Brian, as a litmus test for how worthy I am or how worthy other people are? And so the two ultimately, love and and law, in the purest sense, are not in contradiction to each other at all. Well, there sure is a lot to unpack with this topic. I know that there's, you know, probably in with your small group or your family, maybe parents with your kids, you want to talk about this because, again, the two errors are on the one side, you can distort the law. On the other side, you can distort the concept of love. And, and really, Jesus wants us to live just the way he did. He wants us to have a healthy perspective on all of those things. And so if you want to talk more about it, you can find resources, discussion questions, and so much more at PursueGod.org. And don't forget, join us next week because we're not done with the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go on to chapter three now. I hope you're enjoying it. I know we are, and I hope you'll join us next time. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.